Right, Hans? It's been four days since we've been live on the Ronin Radio show. And uh, took two days off. Two days off from work, first time in uh, two months. We had two consecutive days off. And uh, yeah, this morning as we were getting ready for today's show, I got a message from our young 18-year-old friend in California. Fellow warrior. Who is uh, coming to heads with his father and is really questioning, what am I doing in university? You know, his dad is uh, paying a lot of money for his California university and it seems like his father has expectations of him based on how much money his dad's putting into it that that then he feels like are weighing on him Mm. and so there's some resentment there from his father and it's like he's not fully into the schooling and he's kind of resenting that he has he owes his father all this and so it's just this weird situation both tolerating a lot, and uh, we titled our uh, our show here. Um, you know, every young man should be out of the house before eighteen. And uh, Hans, I'll tell you one thing that comes up for me is, I think once you get to an age as a young man, where you know on some level you could be out providing for yourself. And you have your parents, father and or mother, you know, yapping at you, telling you what to do, in control of your life, because it's their house, you're living off their money, under their roof, and uh, you find yourself tolerating mm-hmm. their uh, ruling over you, you have to start making excuses for it in your mind. This is the beginning of the programming of weakness. You have to start making excuses for why you're not ready, you can't do it, blah, 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 blah. This narrating, these these reflections, the things you start concluding on some level about yourself or reality is very negative programming for the young man who would be powerful, who would be a leader. Well, I think the programming starts a lot earlier, as soon as we're out of the womb, but this is really a a crucial turning point. Because as you say, I think what changes there is that now you come at an age where you can do it by yourself. So if you don't, you got to start making excuses. You are contributing to the... To the programming there. The key thing is if you know you can do it, mm-hmm. you know you can guide yourself, but you are tolerating an environment that you don't like and submitting to authorities that maybe you don't respect, you don't admire, don't want to be like. This isn't all young men with their parents, but this is many in today's world. But you don't take that step and go out. You have to, it's that kind of programming I'm talking about, mm-hmm. where you can do it. And you have you feel desire to do it, but you're afraid to do it, and you start making excuses for it. Or you that don't see kind how. of programming. Or you don't see how. Well, don't see how or, or or whatever. You still have to make excuses. For example, I don't see how. Yes. You know, that's a to me that's a bullshit excuse. 
So my, and, and in fact, I would say my responsibility as an older brother, older man, for younger men is to give them that push, give them that encouragement, give them that, you know, uh, that voice. You can do it. Go, go. It's one of the best things that can happen because once you leave, the programming on that level is entirely different. It's, oh, I left. All my friends are still at home, kissing ass, whatever. Look at me. I'm out here making my way. It's that, those positive, powerful reflections, that new story that's being, that you find yourself living in. Um, and uh, it's really powerful. It's really powerful to just go. That includes making your own money. Yeah, finding your way in the world. You don't need it. I mean, you could be uh, living in the wilderness, whatever, but as a young man, fending for yourself. And I think many times uh, the, these, this conflict starts when you become a teenager. You know, you turn 13, 14, and you realize, man, I'm, I'm as tall as my, my parents or taller. And, uh, you know, you can see ways that they're compromising. You can see ways they're not being powerful. And you're like, man, I could do that. You know, why am I submitting to that authority that I'm starting to not respect? So would you call all, because uh, I got um, stories or questions around this as well, and explanations of why it is not happening. Would you call them all excuses? Say, um, well, think of him, you know, I'm living in California. How am I going to make money? It's expensive here. Where am I going to live? What, like... I, I can't see how to make this possible. Yes. You know? Well, I mean, maybe you've thought about it for one minute, but that's, a, that's an easy excuse. Mm -hmm. You can, you can, uh, that's a great way. We talked some weeks ago about the cocoon or the, the, the nest, you know, and building it higher and higher so you can't, um, so you feel no pressure to fly. Making those excuses makes it more comfortable to just sit at home mm. rather than finding a way. Find a way. That would be my challenge. Yes. And, and two questions that are great for this. And they're, they're the questions that can lead someone to becoming an entrepreneur or to leaping from the nest or to, uh, yeah, is what if and how can I? Right? So, um, Well, how could I leave home? I don't know. What if I went and lived with my grandparents mm -hmm. and did some work on the farm for my, my grandfather? And um, Well, how would I buy food or whatever? Well, what if I made a deal with my grandfather that I just live off of the food and the farm? And you know, there's the what if and how yes. can I? What if, how can I? Very powerful. And create some different alternatives. But... One of the most powerful things, I think, would be to just go and live with someone who sees your ability to do it, someone who believes in you, mm. someone who, is, uh, who you respect and admire, especially like an older male who you feel gives a fuck about you, who you both respect and admire, and is going to challenge you 
and affirm your ability to be a man. He's pushing you out of the nest. I get the same question a lot about people say wanting to travel and thinking, I gotta make more money. You know, and I say bullshit excuse, you know, because you don't need to make more, you need to make time and then you just go. And, uh, and instead of solving it, I really like the two phrases. What if, so instead of seeing the obstacles and thinking I can't overcome them, what if and how can I? Yes. Way more powerful. In Dutch, I don't know if they say it in English, but they say, where there's a will, there's a way. Yes, we also say it. Okay. I think so. you guys copied it. <laughs> <laughs> no, Dutch was the original. It was so close to all the Americans speaking Dutch. Just. <laughs> so what would you say to him? To a brother there stuck in California, looking for a way out, headbutting with his father, his mom hiding his passport. Well, he's going to have to fight to get out. If he wants to get out, he's going to have to fight for it. But it's a fight that will define him for the rest of his life. When this conversation comes up, he'll, he'll stand with pride and talk about this story about how he left home. And it's going to have him being a different character in the story of his life. And he's going to feel more confident and powerful with every such fear or conflict, you know? Well, I jumped when I was 18. I just leaped into the unknown. Well, that's who I am. It's so powerful. It's such a defining thing to, to do. And I think especially when you're in that, you know, age bracket, 13 to 20, you know? Make the bold leap, leap out of the next, out of the nest. You know, imagine the, uh, the bird who uh, becomes a, like, let's say an adolescent bird. The wings are powerful enough to fly, but it looks out now and, and every day it, 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 it turns away and then it's in its twenties, you know, and then it's thirties and it looks out and it's still being fed by its mother. It's perfectly grown bird, you know has the ability to fly, but at some point it's like, there's no belief it can do it. It's full of excuses. It's, it's de totally dependent on, on mm. mommy. And, uh, how is this bird ever going to go become powerful? Mm. The road to become powerful is so much more difficult. If you stay the longer you stay at home, the more challenging it is to become powerful. The sooner you leave, so instead of so instead of saying, do I am I going to leap or not, and then answering that by answering the questions that come up, can I do it? Is it safe? How do I do that? Where do I get my passport? You, the the first step is to make that clear commitment to say I do it no matter what. Yeah, I'm doing it. I'm going. And then you find the way. I'm gone by this date. Yes. You know, and but if you can find, like I said, like an older man or men and brothers to support you and you can go stay with them, find your way with them, that's great. But it's not necessary. You gotta first do it. I remember these guys talking about approaching with women and I loved it when guys are thinking, they try to calibrate, what should I do? Should I do it like this? And and the rule was first approach, then calibrate. You know, and I like that. It's like first jump and then answer yes, the, then the, figure it out. Then figure it out, right. you know? If you're waiting to figure it out first, you're just piling on tons of excuses and a pattern of excuse making. 
before you leave. Which is going to make it worse. Yes. Harder. Yes. Yeah. Makes it harder. Yes. There's a samurai story too in the, I think it's in the Hagakure. I'm not sure. And uh, it's about walking in the rain. Yeah. And we, we tend to walk in the rain and like try to not get wet. And the idea is that you know you're going to get wet, get wet, get wet first. So you just walk normally through the rain. You know? So jump first, then calibrate. Yeah, it's going to be tough. Jump first. So what's your, when did you leave home? I was uh, 17. Mm. But uh, let me, I just had a thought, you know, I had a landscaping business in my 20s. Um, for part of my twenties. And that's what I, you know, when I encouraged my brothers to, um, make their own way, start businesses, etc., they were working for me at the time. But I'm just thinking later on when I had a, you know, after I kind of encouraged them to make the leap into entrepreneurship, because one leap is leaving home. Then there's another leap like to, I'm going to be totally independent. I'm going to be an entrepreneur. I'm going to create my own way financially in the world. Uh, totally self-sufficient. Mm. And it's a really powerful leap because once you, once you then know yourself as someone who can just go start a business for the rest of your life, you know, you know, I, I can just go start another business or another business or another business. You're no longer dependent on a boss or any one business working because you can just go start another one. It's so powerful. Mm. And, uh, that's, that's one of the things that, I gave them in challenging that, and then I knew they would get from taking on that challenge to start a business is for the rest of their life, they would know that they can just go start another one. And uh, what I was going to say is, so after my brothers, they had their businesses, I went back and started another landscape business. And then I, ha I had other young guys come in and I would, I would then help push them out and help them go start a business. It wasn't a good business model for me making money, but what I was really passionate about was helping other guys make this leap, you know, pushing them out before they're, before they're ready. And, uh, which is very much what I, I kind of train that in the I stands as well, like being ready versus being prepared. And, um, but what's the difference? The way I see it as, uh, being prepared is like you are, you have everything that you need to be comfortable to get onto the battlefield, right? Uh, maybe you got this, you, you get the skills training first and then you get the right gear and then you, you do this and you do that. But what you're really gauging for by is, am I comfortable? Oh, I'm not comfortable yet. Maybe I need more preparation, right? I need more training, I need more education, I need more things. I need more people on my team. And, and, and you're gauging by comfort level to see if you're ready. And a warrior's readiness is complete opposite. You're standing on the battlefield present to the watching for the enemy is going to be coming up over the hill and the people you got to defend are behind you. You know, if you're really ready, you're facing everything and it's not comfortable. It's complete opposite. Ready is being on the battlefield. And you just, how do you get, how do you get ready? You step onto the battlefield and you pay attention. You have to pay attention once you're on the battlefield. So that's, that's, uh, it's a complete, it's, it's night and day. It's 180 degrees different. So 
with my landscape. So the next landscape business I started after I set my brothers out and I had these other young guys working for me. Um, you know, many days in Austin, if you look by the weather, it looks like it's going to rain. Yeah, well, we can't work in the rain. You can't cut grass in the rain. You can't trees and all this when it's raining. And, uh, you know, guys would say this and say, oh, well, Michael, it's raining. And, you know, should I really come in or whatever? Get your fucking ass here. We're going out every fucking day. No question. We always go, you know, and it, most days the rain never comes. I don't remember any rain or in Austin. It <laughs> goes out for a, it goes for a little bit. It, it rains enough. It's plenty humid, but it often looks like it's going to rain in the morning, and that's the thing. So, uh, but the point is, if you if you allow yourself, if you train yourself to to say, well, what do I feel like doing it? Am I ready? Am I comfortable yet? This becomes a a pattern, a way of thinking that affects the entire rest of your life. And it's, uh, there, there's, there's the you with that programming and you can see where that leads. And there's the you without that programming. And it's a completely different future, completely different life, completely different outcomes. Well, the great thing is about the programming, you can stop it with one leap. You know, you could be trained the whole time to be careful and to wait until you're very prepared, you know, and start telling that story. And then you can, with one leap, you could change it. The great thing about leaping is you wake up in the morning and you're like, oh shit, I've, I left and I have no safety here. I have to go. Versus if you're at home, if you're in the nest in some form or another, maybe, maybe you want to be an entrepreneur, but you're a, an employee at a job and it's comfortable there and the paycheck is guaranteed. And you wake up, well, I got a job, I, gotta, I, can, I can work today, I don't have to fend for myself today. But if you leap, fuck, I got to pay rent this month, I got to pay all these bills, I need to go, you know? So if you leap first and then figure it out, it's often so much more powerful. It's good advice. The power of leaping. Friend. power of leaping. Yes. Now, sooner than later. So, now, rather than later. Because it will be harder. The more you wait, the harder it is. Yes. So me leaving home, you know, when I was 16, I was starting to have some major conflicts with my mother, who was a real, you know, dominant force. And, uh, and she was battling against all men in the patriarchy at this point in her life. You know, it was her rising up and I was the oldest male in the house. And, uh, I, I was working masonry labor this summer, really hard, intense work with a guy who was a few years older than me, you know, who he was out of high school. He, he had his own Jeep. He, he worked for his father in, uh, you know, doing masonry labor. It was really intense, uh, heavy work. And, um, I looked up to him in that way. And I was saving money to buy a vehicle so I could have some freedom. I didn't want to be fucking riding the bus or depending on if someone else giving me a ride every day to school. For senior year, I wanted to have my own ride. And um, it comes, come the end of the summer, my, my mother told me, 
You know, she had, there was a Pontiac Firebird, a black Firebird that she had had. And this was back in the Knight Rider days. You know, it was Kit, the, the car's name was Kit. It was a talking car and they were like superheroes solving all these, you know, whatever. <laughs> I don't know the song, but. <laughs> and uh, the car looked just like that. It was 100% the same, like, uh, looking car, same model car. And, uh, but for like three years, she'd had this shop fucking with her. It was like four hours outside of town. She would go out there and they would raise the price on her. And the guy just got out of prison from the same way of conning people out of their vehicles by continually raising the price and they can't pay for it. And then, you know, he eventually keeps it or he gets the extra money or whatever. So she was so fed up by this point. She was like, you know, Michael, if you want to go pay what they're asking for it, then you can have it. So I was like, cool. All right. I called him up. I asked how much. And um, they tell me, I get the money together. I've been saving up all summer. And I drive out there and they do the same thing to me. They add on all these extra fees. And I'm like, because I've just driven four hours out with the money ready to get the car. Then I drive four hours back and I was like, you know, I was like, F these motherfuckers. They're stealing from my mom. They're stealing from me. And uh, I found the biggest friend I could find. It's like 300 pounds. And uh, he was, I don't know, early 20s, but he was well outside of high school and he was a rebel. And I said, man, will you help me out? You know, I got the situation. I can't remember if I paid him or what, but anyway, I, uh, I went and got a big buck knife, um, from home, you know, like a knife, like, you know, this big. <laughs> and I got the keys of the car and like, I, like, we got to go out there because the car is at the front of the lot now. And I'm hoping they haven't moved it back because they, you know, they might think I'm coming back or whatever. So. Night comes and we drive out there four hours. Night rider. Right. <laughs> I don't know what time we got out there. Probably after 11 at some point, maybe midnight. Um, it's quiet. It's, uh, it's in the middle of the countryside. It's like pretty flat for as far as the eye can see. The moon is shining bright. And um, my, my friend turns off his lights and we just, it turns off his engine. We just kind of roll up, you know, and, <laughs> and I jump out, you know, with my knife and the keys while the, the Jeep is still moving, you know, it's like a movie or something. And I, you know, my heart's beating and I, and I, the, like the, this is in a, a junkyard. Okay. And I, I go into the front gate, which is, it's like open in the front and, and I find the car it's still there. And, um, you know, and I, I go in, I'm, I'm trying to be quiet. And meanwhile, my friend is turning around, you know, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, comes, woo, 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 this big junkyard dog. Actually, I couldn't see him, but I could hear him. He sounded mean. And uh, he's coming from like, holy shit, you know, and I got my knife and I'm trying to get the key in the door. And, and it's, I'm ready to, I'm ready to slay this dog. Like I'm not taking off running. I'm getting my car. I'm going to kill the dog if I need to. And uh, 
I, I managed to open the car and he comes to the end of his chain, you know, and I can't see him, but I can hear him. And uh, I, I climb in the car and, and I'm trying to find the, the hole for the key. And, and I, I can see the rearview mirror light comes on. It's in the house. It's like not too far away, just behind the car. And, uh, you know, and I'm like, man, this thing better start. Because this thing hasn't been driven in a couple of years besides them starting it up to drive to the front of the lot. And uh, I'm like, oh, fuck, it better start. And it starts, you know, like, thank God. And, uh, and I take off. And as I, as I pull onto the highway behind my friend, we start taking down the highway, taking off down the highway. I look in the rearview mirror and I can see lights of cop, police car lights. But they're like way in the distance. I mean, this road is so straight and so long into the country um, that we got some time, you know, but they're coming. <laughs> And, um, so my friend takes off, I'm behind him and, you know, the cop really picks up speed and, um, at a certain point, like the cop, like his cops really getting close now. And I turn off, uh, I, I, well, I pass my friend and then I turn off onto this side road and I'm going down the side road and I noticed my friend turns off also. And um, so I'm like, I'm, I'm like, I'm not going to outrun this cop. So I got to, uh, I got to find a place to hide. Like, and I, I'm looking for, and I, and I find, okay, there's like a line of pine trees up ahead. I'm going to turn in on this driveway and shut off my lights and just pray that they go by. My friend in the cup, right? right? <laughs> so it comes, I turn in down the driveway and, um, and I, and I go to stop the car and the brakes are like really sensitive. I haven't really driven the car before. I don't know. I go to put on the brakes and it just, it slams me into the horn and it's like, right as I'm about to go by, it's like, and I can't find the, the, the switch for the lights. The lights are still on and the horn. It's like, come and get me, you know? And, uh, but thank God they both drive past the cop car and my friend. And I, I don't know how I got so lucky. So I pull back out. I go back the other way. I go up through the next state through Pennsylvania. And in the morning, I come home, I come back and I, and I, through the back roads and I, and I bring this car and I drive it around the back of my house through the grass and like I got, my, are you in? I got my car this is Maryland um, out near Washington D.C. and uh, so so now I, I don't have a uh, I don't have insurance I don't have registration and my mom's like okay well that's uh, okay well that's kind of good job you know she's not sure what to think of it but you can't drive it because you have no license or registration. Well, I got my car. I got to get it ready for, you know, senior year is about to start. And so when she's gone in the daytime, I'm driving it over to my friend's house. We're fixing it up. And uh, she's like, look, you can't do it because she'll get in trouble if, if, if I'm caught driving it. And, uh, but I'm like, I got to fix up my ride, you know. And so I come home and uh, one day, it's one evening, 
And she's like, all right, I told you not to drive it. Give me the keys. And I've just walked into the kitchen, kitchen lights on. Uh, all my brothers and sisters, five brothers and sisters, they're all there. And uh, she wants the keys. This is my ticket to freedom. This is my horse, you know. Um, in, in, uh, in Turkey, they say, what is it? Something like, uh, oh, I'm going to mess up the quote. But it's something like, all a man needs is his horse, his, his weapon, and his woman. Or like my friend says, Horse, weapon, woman. <laughs> That's all you need. I didn't have a weapon. I didn't have a woman. But I had my fucking horse and she wants to take my horse, you know? And uh, I'm like, no. <laughs> and I, you know, um, and I start walking away. She's like, give me the keys, you know? And I'm like, gonna start taking off, <laughs> jogging away from my mom around the, the big kitchen, you know, uh, aisle. And uh, I'm like, no. And she's like, Lisa, stop him. Katrina, stop him. Dave, stop him. And, you know, they kind of like put their hands out like this, like they're not going to get in the middle of this, you know. And uh, it escalates. And I go to head to the front door and she is pissed off. And uh, she says, um, as I'm leaving, and she'll say that probably that she didn't say this. Mom, you said it if you're watching this. Sorry I have to tell this story, but it's, uh, it's true. So I go to head out the front. Like, I got my freedom, you know? Freedom. I'm not giving it up. And I, I go to head out the door and says, If you go out that door, don't you ever come back? And uh, I fly out the door. And she, um, and, and, I look, and I hear this boom. And I look back and she has slammed this front door so hard. It goes through the, the, the hinges because it's not supposed to swing outside. It swings outside, up against the outside of the house, and then back closed. And I leap into the car, and I take off to my friend's house. And um, I'm like, you know, adrenaline pump, and I tell my friend what happened, you know, like I got no place to go. And so, like, now I'm, I'm out. And, I'm, and, and this time I've really, like, it's really, it's come to a head with my mom before, but now it's like, I've, I've got wheels, you know, I've got wheels and I'm not giving them up. And, uh, you know, maybe a half hour later, we see lights outside and we look outside and it's my mom and her female friend. And, and we're like, what are they doing? And we see they're trying to take the tags off, trying to take the license plates off the car. And we're like, fuck. So we go out. friend's house. Yes. So, so we go out. Yeah. And we tell his dad what's going on. And my, my friend's a big dude. He's a, he's a big dude. But his dad is like double the big dude. He's like 350 pounds. Like 100% man. Not just, not just like a fat guy. Like booming voice. Masculine as fuck. And just... I don't think he fits through the, the door like straight on. And we tell him what's going on. He puts down the newspapers, takes off his glasses, and he goes, opens the door, comes through sideways, and he's like, Hey! Get off my property! <laughs> and I, my, my, I have never, like, I'm like witness to this. I'm like, there's a, I mean, it's my mom, okay? So I don't want people talking shit to my mom. But 
She's the most dominant force in my whole reality. And for this moment, I'm like, yes! <laughs> and my mom takes off running, you know? I'm a little bit conflicted, but she takes off running. I'm like, they, they scurry back to their car, get out of there as, as fast as they can. I'm like, yes! And, you know, we take the car and we, we you know, we hide it. And uh, I'll, I'll fast forward through the rest of the story here, which is, so I spent a couple weeks at my friend's place. Then I go to live with my dad, but I'm living under the roof of, he's living with my stepmother and she rules the house. And I do not feel welcome, and it is not, uh, like, it's worse than living with my mom, you know? Like, like my mom's great, and I had a great deal of freedom, but, like, living with, in this other woman's house was, like, almost, was, was worse. So then my dad's like, well, you know, I've been talking to your Uncle Steve, and, you know, He's like, they're, they're, they'll take you in, you know? So they can go out, go out and live with them out in Utah. And I'm like, I'm kind of like, it sounds exciting, you know, because this is where I would go in the summers to get a taste of living like a cowboy in the Wild West, you know? And he's like, you know, we're going out. My dad would get together like every year with his brothers and they would all go snowmobile riding in the mountains. It was a very, it was their men's trip. And he's like, we're going. Come with us. And just in case, bring all your stuff. <laughs> and so... What about your car? Well, yeah, my car was still back there. I, I don't think I had... Uh, I don't even know if it was... Was it registered? I don't know. I'm trying to remember. You didn't drive it all the way to Utah? No. Not yet. So we fly out. I remember getting off. I remember opening the doors of the plane, just looking around. There's mountains. And it's cold, it's wintertime. It's like, I'm in a Salt Lake City. Yes. I've landed there too, you can see it. Yes. Mountains all around. Yes. It's great. You step off the plane and you're, you're outdoors. It's not like, it wasn't into one of these tunnels that goes right into the airport. You go down this, you hit with the brisk cold and you see the mountains and it's like, ah, a new world. So I'm out there and I meet my, my uncle and his family. And I know like they're really Mormon. They're all Mormon. And I'm thinking, man, I don't know about, like, I have to live by their rules. I'll be the oldest kid in their house. They've never had, like, a, uh, a child that age. I'm like, man, this, this could be worse in some ways. But I end up staying out there. And, uh, I mean, okay, I have to, there's a couple more stories I really have to tell. Maybe I'll tell them another time, but. Don't make it three hours. But. Springtime comes, okay, so we go through the winter. Springtime comes, spring break is coming, and I'm like, I got to go get my, my ride, you know, and uh, I get on a plane. The, the rest, I don't want to rush through, actually. There's two more great stories. There's a couple great stories there, but yes, but I share these because these, these, these stories of getting free also defined me in, in it defined me to myself yes. and, and also to other people. And it's a powerful, it's powerful to do to make that next chapter in your story happen um, so that you know yourself as the guy who has what it takes to make it in the world 
to stand for his freedom, to not tolerate anything, to leap, to make the leap. Hey, Stefan, how you doing, man? Got Stefan from Romania watching. All right, I imagine we're at least to the end of our time, if not over time. All right, maybe more tomorrow. To be continued. <laughs>